Chapter Six, Part Two, of More Love to Thee: The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee: The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter Six, Part Two. Montreux, the Swiss Autumn, Castle of Chillon, Death and Sorrow of Friends at Home, Twilight Talks, Spring Flowers. Early in October, the family removed to Montreux, at the upper end of the Lake of Geneva, where the next six months were passed in what was then known as the Maison de Bain. Montreuse was at this time the centre of a group of pleasant villages scattered along the shore of the lake or lying back of it among the hills. One of these villages, Claron, was rendered famous in the last century by the pen of Rousseau, and early in this by the pen of Byron. The grave of Vinet, the noble leader and theologian of the free church of the canton of Vaud, now renders the spot sacred to the Christian scholar. Montreuse was then a favourite resort of invalids in quest of a milder climate. At many points it commands fine views of the lake, and the whole region abounds in picturesque scenery. The Maison des Bains is said to have long since disappeared, but in 1858 it seemed to hang upon the side of the Montreuse Hill, and was one of the most noticeable features of the landscape, as seen from the passing steamer. To Mrs. Henry B. Smith, Montreuse, October thirty first, 1858 your letter was a real comfort, and I am so thankful to the man that invented letter-writing that I don't know what to do. We feast on everything we hear from home, however sick or weak. It is a sort of sea-air appetite. Your letters are not a thousandth part long enough, but if you wrote all the time, I suppose they wouldn't be. You see, I am experimenting with two kinds of ink, hoping my letters may be more easy to read. George tried it the other day by writing me a little note, telling me first how he loved me in black ink, and then how he loved me in blue, after which he tore it up. Wasn't that a shame? Anna writes that you seemed miserable the day she was at your house. The fact is, people of such restless mental activity as you and I, my dear, never need expect to be well long at a time, for, as soon as we get a little help, we consume it just as children do candy. George and I are both able, however, to take long walks, and the other day we went to see the castle of Chillon. I was much impressed with all I saw. Under Byron's name, which I saw on one of the columns, were the initials H.B.S. H.B. Smith, says I. You don't say so, cries George. Where? Let me see. Oh, I don't think it can be his, for here are some more letters, which I knew all the time. But for all that, HBS does stand for H.B. Smith. There are ever so many charming walks about here, and from some points the scenery is wonderfully picturesque. I never was in the country so late as to see the trees after a frost, and although the foliage here is less brilliant, it is said, than that of American forests, I find it hard to believe that there can be anything more beautiful than the wooded mountains 
covered with the softest tints of every shade and colouring, interspersed with snow-capped peaks and bare grey rocks. The glory has departed somewhat within two days, as we have had a little snowstorm, and the leaves have fallen sadly. We began to have a fire yesterday, and to put on some of our winter clothing. Yet roses bloom just outside our door, and mignonette, nasturtiums, and a variety of other flowers adorn every house. The Swiss love for flowers is really beautiful. I wish you would let the children go to the hothouse when they pass on the way from school and get me some flower seeds, as it will be pleasant for me to have the means of giving pleasure. I presume the gardener would be able to select a dozen or so of American varieties, which would be a treasure here. I amuse myself with making flower pictures, with which to enliven our parlour, and assure you that these works of art are remarkable specimens of genius. I do not know where the time goes, but I do not have half enough of it, or else do not understand the art of making the most of it. We have just subscribed to a library at a franc a month, and hope to read a little French. I suppose Zed will be a regular young lady by the time we come home, and that I shall be afraid of her, as I am of all young ladies. How nicely she and M would look in the jaunty little hats they all wear here. I wonder if the fashion will stretch across the ocean. I dare say it will. Never was there anything so becoming in the world. To Mrs. Stearns, Montreux, November the 21st, 1858. We were glad to hear from your last letter that you are all so well, and especially to hear such good accounts of Mr. Stearns. It is a real comfort to us to find that his little trip has done him so much good. I was sorry to hear of the loss of that friend of the Thurstons in the Austria, for I heard Ellen speak of her in the most rapturous manner. This world is full of mysteries. Only to think of the shock George received when expecting to meet Mr. Butler in Paris and perhaps spend several weeks with him there, he heard at Geneva the news of his sudden death. He loved and honoured Mr. B. most warmly and truly. You will remember that the latter came abroad on account of the health of his daughter. Her younger sister accompanied them, and they were all full of the brightest anticipations. But the same steamer which brought them over carried home his remains on the next trip, and those two poor young girls are left in a strange land, afflicted and disappointed and alone. Mr. Butler died a most peaceful and happy death, and George was very glad to be in Paris in time to comfort the young ladies, who were perfectly delighted to see him. He got back yesterday very much exhausted, and has spent most of the day on the sofa. A has a teacher who comes three times a week from Vevey and spends most of the day. She is a young lady of about 25, well-educated and accustomed to teaching, and has taken hold of A with no little energy. She cannot speak a word of English. Tell your A we can't get over it that the horses, dogs and cats here all understand French. I have been ever so busy fixing and fussing for winter, which has come upon us all in a rush. Isabella has been bewitched for about a week, having at last got a letter from her beau, and every speck of work she has done on the sewing machine 
was either wrong side out or upside down. While George was gone, I made up a lot of flower pictures to adorn the walls of our parlour. He is walking about admiring them, and I wish you would drop in and help him. He had a real homesick fit to see you all today, feeling so tired after his journey, but seems brighter tonight and promises faithfully to get well now, right off. December the 5th. The death of Sarah P. must have excited all your sympathies. The loss of a little child, and I shudder when I recall the pangs of such a loss, can be nothing in comparison with such an affliction as this. I well remember what a bright young thing she was. Her poor mother's grief and amazement must be all the greater for the fact of the perfect vigour and sound health which had, as it were, assured her of long life and happiness and usefulness. I had an inexpressible sadness upon me as soon as I heard that she was dangerously ill. Often in such moments one bitterly realises that all this world's idols are likewise perishable. A's teacher gives lessons also in a family half an hour from Vevey, who are going to Germany to spend a year, and she gave such an account of the place that George let her persuade him into going to see it, as the owner desired to rent it during his absence. He took A with him, as I could not go. They came back in ecstasies, and have both set their hearts so on taking it that I should not at all wonder if that should be the end. We left some of our things at Chateau Dirks, fully expecting to return there, but this Vevey country seat, with its cherry, apple and pear trees, its seclusion, its vicinity to reading room and library, has quite disgusted George with the idea of spending another summer en pension. The family entertained G and A very hospitably, gave them a lunch of Bologna sausage, bread and butter, cake, wine and grapes. And above all, the little girls gave A two little guinea pigs, which you may imagine filled her with delight. The whole affair was very agreeable to her, as she has not spoken to a child, save M, since we came to Montrose, January the 3rd, 1859. We read your letter, written at Bedford, with no little interest and sympathy. While we could not but rejoice that one more saint had got safely and without a struggle home, we felt the exceeding disappointment you must have had in losing the last smile you came so near receiving. I think you had a sort of presentiment last winter what this one might bring forth, for I remember your saying it would probably be the last visit to you, and that you wanted to make it as pleasant as possible. And pleasant I do not doubt you and the whole household made it to her. Still, there always will be regrets and vain wishes after the death of one we love. What a pity that we cannot be to our friends, while they live, all we wish we had been after they have gone. George and I feel an almost childish clinging to mother, while we hope and believe she will live to bless us if we ever return home. January the 23rd. We have been afflicted in the sudden death of our dear friend, Mrs. Wainwright. The news came upon us without preparation, for she was ill only a few days, and was a great shock to us. You and mother know what she was to us during the whole time of our acquaintance with her. I loved her most heartily. I cannot get over the saddening impression 
which such deaths cause by receiving new ones. Our lives here are so quiet and uneventful that we have full leisure to meditate on the breaches already made in our circle of friends at home and to forebode many more such sorrowful tidings. Mrs. Wainwright was like a mother to me, and I am too old to take up a new friend in her place. I do not know whether I mentioned the afflictions of my cousin H. They have been very great, and have excited my sympathies keenly. Her first child died when eighteen months old, after a feeble, suffering life. Then the second child, an amiable, loving creature, I almost see her now sitting up so straight with her morsel of knitting in her hands. She was taken sick and died in five days. Her sister, about eight years old, came near dying of grief. She neither played, ate or slept, and they wrote me that her wails of anguish were beyond description. Just as she was getting a little over the first shock, the little boy, then about three years old, died suddenly of croup. Poor H is almost broken-hearted. I have felt dreadfully at being away when she was so afflicted. They had not been long enough in New York to have a minister of their own, and they all said, oh, if George and I had only been there. Her letters during the rest of the winter are tinged with the sadness caused by these and other distressing afflictions among friends at home. Her sympathies were kept under a constant strain but her letters contain also many gleams of sunshine. Although very quiet and secluded, and often troubled by torturing neuralgic pains, as well as by sudden shocks of grief, her life at Montreux was not without its own peculiar joys. One of the greatest of these was to while away the twilight or evening hours in long talks with her husband about home and former days. Distance together with the strange alpine scenes about her, seemed to have the effect of a score of years in separating her from the past and throwing over it a mystic veil of tenderness and grace. Old times and old friends, when thus viewed from the beautiful shores of Lake Lamar, appeared to the memory in a softened light and invested with something of that ideal loveliness which the grave itself imparts to the objects of our affections. Many of these old friends, indeed, have passed through the grave, some long before, some recently, and to talk of them was sweet talk about the blessed home above, as well as the home beyond the ocean. Another joy that helped to relieve the monotony and weariness of the Montreux's life was in her children, especially as, on the approach of spring, she wandered with them over the hillsides in quest of flowers. Then her delight knew no bounds. In a letter to Mrs. Washburn, dated March the 19th, she writes, M and G catch A's and my enthusiasm, and come with their little hands full of dandelions, buttercups and daisies, and their hats full of primroses. Even Mr. Prentice comes in with his hands full of crocuses, purple and white, and lots of an extremely pretty flower, la fille avant la mer which he gathers on the mountains where I cannot climb. I often think of you and Mrs. B when I revel among the beautiful profusion of flowers with which this country is adorned. So early as it is, the hills and fields are covered 
with primroses, daisies, cowslips, violets, lilies, and I don't know what not. In five minutes we can gather a basketful. End of chapter 6, part 2